great to be here in Austin. I do have seven children, and uh, we had four uh, biological. We had a little girl last. I was 38. We liked girls so much, we adopted three more. And um, we have currently four grandchildren, and we have triplets will be born this week. And um, so I'm real excited about that. I'm real excited to be the grandparent, not the father of triplets. So that's going to make seven. And I have my daughter, Eric, or her husband, Stephen, with me tonight. Please stand up. Love them. Great to see them. They live in Houston. They came down. Let's just pray that we're going to turn in the word. In fact, turn to Mark 4. I had something ready to share, then I got in worship, and it changed. Now, the problem is I can't blame the Lord for that because he never changes his mind. That means I just wasn't listening well enough till I got to worship, must be. Can never say, Lord, why'd you change your mind? He changeth not. Okay. Turn to Mark 4. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for this church. I thank you for what you're doing here. God, for the great staff, the elders, the congregation. Lord, I, I just pray, Lord, as, as I begin to worship, you drop this message into my heart um, and we'll just open the Bible and talk about it. And I pray you'd speak to us, like, very specifically. Um, just pinpoint what you're saying to these people and then as well tomorrow also. Um, Let me read a passage out of Mark, the fourth chapter. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Let me speak the context. When you look in Matthew 8, which is also, this is the Mark's, Mark's account of what you see in Matthew 8. Basically, the disciples were in the middle of a, a mini revival. Um, Jesus was basing at that time in Capernaum. It's where Peter and some of the disciples lived. In Matthew 8, you find as he's going toward Capernaum, that's where the Roman centurion had the sixth servant. And uh, that's a very profound story. You remember it. Jesus said, I'll come to your house and heal him. And the centurion said, I'm not worthy that you come to my house, but if you'll speak the word, he'll be healed. So all of a sudden, with this Gentile Roman centurion, I might add, Typically not very popular to Jews, although he was kind of beloved, we find another account. But I want to point out something there. Jesus didn't want to just heal a servant, he wanted to come to his house. And many times, if we're not careful, we settle for a miracle in misintimacy. Jesus is not interested in healing you. He wants to come to your house. He wants to touch you. So Capernaum's already being sh- shaken up. He gets into Capernaum, remember the story. Peter's mother-in-law is very sick. One account says he rebuked the fever. That's interesting. That word rebukes the word out of Jewish exorcism. Might have been a demonically inspired fever. He speaks, and when she's healed, an unusual thing breaks out in the ministry of Jesus. Not that the sick are healed and the demonized are set free, but the Bible says every sick person and every demonized person is set free. A healing revival. The disciples are thinking, man, it can't get any better than this. God's reviving our, 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 our city, and God's blessed your church here. Um, you've grown. I've been coming to this church for decades, I guess, and I can remember here last time feeling another wave of growth was coming, and, and so it's been. But I'm here to tell you, you're crossing into another wave of exponential growth, and it won't be addition. It'll be multiplication. And because of that, things were beginning to affect you that you've not yet fully understood, and I want to point them out to you. Now, the crowd grows so large that Jesus, as he's wont to do at times, has to get in a boat and speak from the seashore. 
Now, in the disciples' minds, there can't be anything better than what they're seeing. Like relatives, friends, families being transformed. And all of a sudden, Jesus, in verse 35, and we could read that Matthew 8 account, I like the mark better. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now, as usual, it's evening. It's dark. It's disorienting. And many of the greatest moves you'll ever make in your life will seem dark to you. You can't figure it out. When the Lord first begins to speak to you, you understand, in fact, there's a couple here, you're, in, you're in, the, in the midst of a real career thing right now. And in fact, you're in the midst of a career change. And it scares you. Because in the last six months, what you've been very happy with has dried up. And God says, don't be afraid. You feel like, man, it's dark. We can't figure this out. I just felt to tell you by the Holy Spirit, you're going into one of the greatest transitions of your life. Don't be afraid. Now, this is interesting. Let's go to the side, leaving the crowd behind. As Morgan will tell you, it, it's counterintuitive for a pastor to leave a crowd. There are hundreds of people there. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, we're going to their side, and they begin to leave the crowd. Now, why would Jesus leave a crowd of people? Only because what is on the other side is even going to have greater kingdom impact. Now, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and I've been there, you really have what is now the nation of Jordan. And in those days, it was called the Decapolis, and under Mark Anthony, 100 years before, 10 cities had been Romanized. Pig farmers, Roman soldiers, this was abhorrent to the Jews. What Jesus realized is, we're not just called here, we've got to go into the darkness, we've got to go into the culture, we've got to go into the very heart of that culture, because if we don't go there, it's going to come here. So it's dark. And I don't fully understand this, but I'll tell you by the Spirit, in the next six months, there's going to come something in this church that's going to put a whole new edge to some of your community groups. God is getting ready to come down by his spirit and sharpen them for an unusual harvest. Now watch this. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. Now this may have been Peter's fishing boat. We know in that era they were about maybe 20, 25 feet long. Only four typically men would row. And out of the 12 in Jesus, um, we know at least four of them were experienced fishermen. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. I'm not sure about the rest. And they're leaving the crowd. It is dark. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, the word furious squall there is a similar word to hurricane. And to this day on the Sea of Galilee, there are these storms that simply come out of nowhere. In the Arabic, they call them the shark wind. Look at the Sea of Galilee. It's basically below sea level almost. Then you've got kind of these mountains on one side. You can have these extraordinary but all of a sudden, a hurricane comes of such magnitude, of such power, that even the experienced sailors are basically saying, the boat was nearly swamped, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, and the disciples woke him and said, don't you care if we drown? Out of nowhere, now catch this, this massive storm comes. Here are men that have grown up on the Sea of Galilee, but it's so powerful, it's so extraordinary, that they was, we're dead if it doesn't stop. We can't bail out of it. We can't row out of it. 
We don't have the seamanship skills. We're going to die. All of a sudden, this titanic storm hits them. It makes no sense. They're thinking, well, thank God, you know, Jesus is with us. He's got the tiller. You know, we're safe. It's going to be okay. And they look in the back of the boat, and what's Jesus doing? Sound asleep. How many of you feel like Jesus is sleeping in your crisis? Be honest. You can't find him. As much as we want God to be God, every once in a while we want him to panic a bit. I know I'm worried too. I mean, I'm really, I got this, don't worry. Now, why would Jesus be sleeping in their crisis? Well, when you read one of the last things he said before they put him in the boat was this. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted a seed, and whether he was asleep or awake, the seed did its work. Now, whenever Jesus gives you revelation, he's going to test you. He just told them, once you have God's word, you can be at rest. Now, they wake him up. They're frantic. They're scared to death. Many of you have hit funny storms of late. There's storms in areas where you don't expect them. Some of you and multiple of you have hit storms in your finances and your businesses. They hit you unexpectedly, and it's about to swamp you. Others in the church have had just storms rippling through their children, rippling with illness. Now, Jesus gets up and watch what he does because I want to show you something tonight and help you here. He gets up. He rebukes the wind and says to the waves, be quiet, be still. Then the wind died down. It was completely calm. Now, the word rebuke there is used two other times in the book of Mark, and it's always used in the context of Jewish exorcism. In fact, when you look at Jewish exorcisms, you find this word used. Jesus stands up. The boat is swamped. That means it's filled with water and it's sinking. There seems to be no. He stands up. He rebukes the wind, and the word quiet is an interesting word. In fact, it's in the first person. It's shut up, be muzzled. Now, when you look at this, what's happening is, is Jesus is not speaking to the weather. He is speaking to demonic entities that have stirred up this storm. Now, what's happening? What's happening is, is, is Jesus is going toward the other side. He is the only one that realizes the implications. And as they as a group, they as a mini church, if you will, are sailing toward this whole new area of their culture, they are lashed with a storm stirred up by the demonic spirits that have bound that area. We know it's clear in the Bible. The prince of this world blinds the eyes of unbelievers. Talks about powers and principalities. You read the best evangelical commentators, even they see a connotation here that is beyond a normal storm. Now Jesus stands up and he rebukes that storm. He muzzles the demonic spirits and it ceases and gets completely calm. Now, here's what I want to talk about just for a moment. Many of you are in storms. They're not natural, and you don't know what to do about them. And you're in a storm of that magnitude because as a church, as a family, as a single, you are sailing toward an extraordinary harvest in this church. You are coming in to a unique time of evangelism and harvest. Now, how do we know the difference between a storm that's simply natural or a storm that's simply circumstantial and a storm that might be demonic coming to attack us and keep us back 
from what God has. I want to say six things about that. Typically, and there's a lot of sources of resistance. It can be just internal stress in our lives. It can be external circumstances. From time to time, God will play hide-and-go-seek with us and deal with us if we're not seeking him enough. But when it's demonic, it typically presents in one of two ways, and then it has four other things you examine. I've learned in my own life that the enemy typically presents himself as a wave or a wall. What do I mean by that? I travel the world, as is, was alluded to tonight, and it used to be whenever I would walk into countries, and I go to some crazy ones and some strange ones, when I'd get off that plane, whatever was dominating that nation would hit me like a wave. Like I could walk off the plane fine and be hit by a wave of tormenting fear, be hit by a wave of depression. And whatever was crushing on that nation, whatever was tearing up that nation would come after me. And when you are fine and you go from zero to 60 in a half a second, and all of a sudden you're tormented by despair, tormented by depression, tormented by some perverted thing, that's a mark many times that that storm isn't natural. That the enemy is coming with a wave to keep you from where God wants you to go. Now, secondly, other times it presents like a wall. Many of you have ever been in a situation where you just can't, have you ever been in, can't find God, raise your hand. It just feels like everything's brass. It feels like there is a wall between you and God. Now, how many of you know God's never going to build a wall between you and he? In fact, Jesus tore down the wall. He tore down the petition. Even when we sin, it may be kind of filmy. We may kind of feel shame. It's not a wall. But the enemy many times will create this barrier that just makes you feel cut off from God. I find that. I remember flying into Japan after the, um, the big tsunami struck. And where it struck Japan was um, right in the most unchurched area of Japan. And we have, we have, I think, nine churches in Japan, some extraordinary churches. And the naval officer in charge of the rescue comes from our church. And when that thing hit, Christians responded so well that it touched the whole nation. And all of a sudden, things began to grow in Japan in unusual ways. When I got to Japan and hit the hotel after that tsunami, I got ready to go and have a meeting like this to profit over a bunch of missionaries and pastors. It was like an iron box dropped over my head, and I could not hear or feel God. Now, when you're going, ready to go and prophesy, that's not a good feeling. So I, so I had to ask, okay, what is this? It was truly demonic. Now, the other four things I look at are this. When a storm hits me, t- I was in Turkey recently. I've been in Turkey two years in a row. And Turkey, as you know, is in, in, in shambles right now. And the, the, new, the, the president, Erdogan, has wanted to restore Turkey to a caliphate and an Islamic state, basically. In the last two times I was there, in fact, when I went year before last, I got so sick there, I was sick five months. This time I went, the minute we got there, Kathy and I got deathly sick. Deathly sick. I don't mean we were dying, but we just shattered us. In fact, I started getting well from that. In the middle of the night, I woke up in my ears closed and did not open for four months. And I told the brothers there, this nation's getting ready to blow apart. That there's something being waged for the very soul of this nation could feel it but the enemy was fighting this and the minute i got in the car the closer i got to the airport the better i felt 
And by the time I hit the airplane, I was well, other than my ears. Now, what was that? That wasn't natural. So I look for four things when I get in a storm, because when a storm is demonic, you have to treat it differently and handle it differently. I judge four things. The level of intensity, the level of density, the level of immensity, and the level of propensity. Let me talk about all four. If you start saying, the kids have never been sick this long. It's never been this bad. This doesn't even make sense. We've never had a cycle. Many times when it makes no natural sense, it's because there's a supernatural element that you need to face in the power of Christ and deal it and break it. Secondly, when you get in spiritual warfare, there's a density level. It just seems like it's endless. It gets thicker and thicker. You can feel like you're walking through mud. You feel like you're just pushing this thing. You can literally feel something around you at times. Thirdly, immensity. One of the marks of demonic warfare is this. The problem you're facing is magnified, and the promise of Christ is minimized. The more you walk through it, the darker it gets. The more you walk through it, the bigger it gets. Now, here's the subtle thing, propensity. Typically, the enemy will attack you in an area where you already have a propensity. You're kind of melancholy, depression. You're kind of anxious. He'll clip you with worry. Why? Because when it comes in an area we're already struggling in, it's harder to see it. Isn't it interesting that the enemy attacked those men in an area of their strength? Fishing boats and, and sailor ship, if I may use that word. And so it was hard for them to realize because they'd faced storms and sailed that this storm, which they knew could kill them, had a different source. Many of you are locked into a storm right now. There are storm winds blowing over multiple people in this church. You said things like, it's not normally this strong. It's relentless. One of you is in a new promotion type thing at work and you thought it would be great. It's been worse than you even imagined. That's not all natural. And some of you are facing that right now. Now watch this. Interesting. Let me prove this to you. So Jesus gets done. Only Jesus, he goes, of course, you know, the boat was filled with water, sinking. He goes, man, what's wrong with you guys? Don't you have any faith? Who could say it but Jesus? Now catch this. They sail, watch me, over to the garrisons, over to the Decapolis. And the garrisons, the Decapolis, are being dominated by the gathering demoniac. Now understand, he, no one even wants to go that way. He screams, slashes himself. He says he's been chained and snapped the chains. Now that's under Roman control. That means Roman soldiers were chaining him. He had snapped the chains. They couldn't arrest him. He was the greatest terrorist, the greatest brigand of his age. Now watch this. Jesus and the disciples hit the shore. As they walk out, they see the gathering demoniacs screaming and shrieking, they think, coming to attack them. Now, you think, are the disciples afraid? Probably not. When Jesus just calmed a hurricane with one demonized man. Typically, what you face crossing over to the next place God has for you is to put what you're going to face there in perspective. The things he teaches you, the things you're learning on your boat ride to the next place are exactly what you're going to need. Now, watch this. 
The Gadarene demoniac, this is, a, this is the most feared being in that part of the world. He sees Jesus, falls down, and surrenders immediately. Demon just say, don't torment us. Can we stay here when you cast us out? What happens? When Jesus shattered that demonic power on the boat ride, he also affected people under its control. You see, a lot of times as a church, the battles we get into, the fights we have over our job, over our employment, over things that force us to pray more, force us to intercede more, force us to cry out for. When we do that, it's not just about us. It's about where we're going. Now, check this. The gathering demoniac basically falls down, and in a moment, he's in his right mind. Disciples are going to feel like this is a failure because basically the inhabitants are so afraid they lost their pig business. They beg him, get out of here. We don't want you here. And then Jesus does something very funny. The gathering demoniac, who's now in his right mind and fully clothed, goes, I beg you, can I go with you? Can I be a disciple? Jesus goes, no, you stay here. Now, that seems to make no sense, but Jesus realizes that one changed life is going to be a ticking time bomb of the gospel in the Decapolis. And when they come back months later, which is another story, there's an explosive healing revival that sweeps the Decapolis. What am I saying? This church is coming into a new era of growth. I don't want to say this prematurely, but it's going to be such an era of growth that it will result in another site off this property. There's going to be such an explosion of growth in another area, outlying area in the city, that you're going to need like an evening service there or something. Now watch me. As you sail toward that, the enemy has been hammering some of you. He's been hammering you in the area of your fishing boat, your profession, your personal life. If we had the whole church here, and we will tomorrow, I guarantee you, you'd you'd be stunned by scores of people acknowledge this. Why? It's because you're getting ready to press in as a church even more deeply into what God has called you. Okay? Why has God allowed you to experience this? Because sometimes God realizes this is what it takes for us to really fight. This is what it takes for us to really pray. And some of you have been pounded on and you have not known why. And I'm telling you, you're not being pounded on because you're weak or bad or worthless. You're being pounded on because how you're living and the direction you're going and the people you're a part of are a very threat to what the enemy's doing here. We're in an hour in this church where God is getting ready to use you in very unique ways to harvest fresh, broken, hurting people. Now, let's be practical for a moment. In a minute, I'm going to pray for those of you in storms before I prophesy. A lot of you are saying, man, that's me, Pastor. I've been in a storm. So let's talk about this again. It seems unnatural. Its intensity is unusual. It's It's not going away. You keep thinking what's going to be done in a week. It's going to be done in a day. And the longer you stay in it 
it seems like the bigger your problem or the bigger your pain looms and the smaller the promise of God to rescue you. You're here tonight and you just say, before going any farther, you say, I've been in a storm. I need prayer. Raise your hand and wave at me. Just wave them. If your hands are up, stand to your feet right now. I'm going to pray for you. Don't be afraid. Just stand up. There's a bunch of you. You won't be alone when you stand. Trust me. Just stand right up where you are. Pastor Morgan, come up here with me as I pray. I want you to pray this. We're going to, I want you to look around these people standing and put a hand out toward them. Here's what I'm going to say. Lord Jesus. Let's pray this out loud. Lord Jesus. I thank you. You're on the boat with me. And right now, by your power, by your authority, I am rebuking this storm. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. I muzzle it in Jesus' name. I am commanding by your authority this storm to cease. Now let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this great church. I thank you for what you're doing here. I thank you, Father, for the amazing things that are going to be happening. And right now, by your spirit and power, Lord, those who've never even recognized this storm, Lord, I've been doing this decades, it happens to me. I pray such faith. I pray such discernment. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, your power would just flood through this church. Your power would just flood through this church. I'm asking right now, by the Holy Spirit of God, such clarity. Every family that's in this storm, I pray, Lord, you're not asleep. God, you're quiet because you've given them the answer already. And as they stand up, and speak by your spirit, and speak by your word, this storm is going to cease. And I thank you for it, Lord. Amen. Let's give God a clap. All righty. Yes.